Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings on of Ambridge. It's P&Q here, Philippa Hall hooked on playing the game Fast Food Frenzy long before Susan ever was. And dragged out of storage, it's your godforsaken wooden cow, Quentin Rayner. While still sweating through the tips of your snouts, there's you lot, our lovely Dumpty Dummers. This week's Dumpty Dum tune is from the brilliant Anwen, and on this episode we hear thoughts from our Rob, Richard Biffoprop, Kate, Claire from Clapham, our Witherspoon Richard, our Vicky, and none other than Anon of Ambridge. Plus, there's a two-minute history from the Borsetshire boffin, that is Stephen, as he reflects on Bridge Farm, along with Tweet of the Week and the Facebook Roundup. Marvellous. Thank you all so much for your calls. You are absolutely brilliant. Now, before Q and I start chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened this week with our Suey. Hello, lovely people. It's Suey, Queen of Tart on the Twitters here, and another week in Ambridge. There was a lot of talk this week of Open Farm Sunday. Brookfield will be taking part. Bridge Farm will not. It is clear that Rob, no tuna baked Titchener, is ruling all their lives at Bridge Farm. It would be too much for them to take on, on top of everything else. Helen has gone to get legal advice from her solicitor Dominic, not from Usha or Anna Toboggan. What goes on? Tom told Tony that they have to stick together so they can take away Rob's power. Let's see how that goes. Our sausage boy and Kirsty sorted out breakfast hampers for the rewilders. They talked about Helen and how her life is going very badly because of Rob. Lee is suffering too. Other people are beginning to notice the strain. 
even Ruth. Stella spilled the beans to Ruth about getting the push from Brian and Adam's part in it. She is thinking of getting advice on the legality of this and is also not going to Usha or Anna Trigogan. What is the world coming to? Don't they know that solicitors have a life, not just for Christmas? Freddie has made a website for his DJ venue, Freddie P. You know, I might just be getting too old for all of this. Miraculously, he already has a booking and got Ben to go with him. He is like a small puppy chasing his tail with overexcitement and falling over and crashing into things. He waxes lyrical about it all. Ben apparently found it too stressful. Susan has been playing computer games with her little soldier, George. He got a rollicking from Neil, very satisfying, about his behaviour towards Hannah. It has become apparent, finally, to Neil that George is a little shit. Emma gave him a rollicking for being rude and not sorting out fundraising for Caroline's favourite charity. Adam hasn't got any time, Kelsa Breeze, even for a du- being a duplicitous, backstabbing, manipulating traitor, as he's now running home farm. Alice went to see how Brian was getting on and was sent away with a flea in her ear. Adam did manage to own up to Lillian about his part in Stella's downfall, which meant that Justin find out. How is he going to manipulate this one and put his own spin on it? Well, turns out Brian is misplanting a crop of maize for Justin and was taken to task. Talking of manipulating, Emma finds Susan cooking George a full English breakfast on a weekday. He's not got a plan yet for this charity thing, so Emma decided to ton her martyr penny and create sponsor forms for him to do some hay bale stacking. It sounds like a big game of giant Jenga. George turned out to have made a fundraising page online. These paper forms are just so old hat. Maybe he has learnt something at college. He also did a lot of pig manipulation in the pig maternity unit and without falling over and being trampled like Martin Gibson nearly was. And we rounded off the week with Sausage Boy and Lee deciding to take Rob Titular down. Will they be successful? It was all a bit of a damp squib, wasn't it? Anyway, time will tell. Until next week, my lovelies, then. I hope it's a good one. Brilliant. Huge thanks to Tui for that fab roundup. So, Q, how has your week been? I will tell you in a minute, P, but for your starter for 10, just to check that you've been listening attentively, how, what percentage of lost profits did Justin accuse Brian of if for not planting the maize in time? Fifteen <laughs> percent. Yes. Oh, there we go. Boom. And we can see, dear listener, we can see each other. The agony on her face. Is fantastic. <laughs> but the but brain no, kicked in eventually. Kicked, I remember. It kicked in. Well, it's it's well, it's a combination of financial stats and food so I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's what's I mean, not come on. like <laughs> come on come on sorry what was your question <laughs> my question which right. wasn't a test thanks very much was how your week's been i've become a bit tennis obsessed and at the end of last year i joined the tennis club and last sunday was a major development in my tennis career because i was actually picked to play in my first ever tennis match in 61 years so I, I, yeah, it was it was a, a doubles match against nearby Newark, and we went over to Newark, and we fielded three doubles pairs, and between us, we played twelve sets. 
and we lost 12 sets. So <laughs> it's a baptism of fire. Um, and I, I, I'm playing another match this afternoon and on Sunday. So um, it would imply that I'm in hot demand. I think actually the captains are just a bit desperate and they people fall out. They say, look around and say, could you play? So It's going to be very hot, though. It, I hope, it is. I hope, like Brian, you're going to have some water to drink. Well, yeah, um, we will We will have refreshments, I think. But anyway, I mean, you know, all this is absolutely, it's, it's just chicken feed compared to your week because I've been totally eclipsed by you and uh, rubbing shoulders with the likes of Dua Lipa. I mean, be still my beating heart and Stormzy and... The cast of the Archers at the Hay Festival. Go on, off you go. Name drop away. I'll come back in five minutes. <laughs> it was the most memorable time. Honestly, it was just so incredible. And I do have to thank both BBC and the Hay Festival for helping with the, the making of that episode. The, the hush in the green room when the Archers cast came in and someone who'd been introduced to Dua Lipa was very jealous of me <laughs> having met the Archers cast. So it just shows swings and roundabouts. Mm. It was also lovely to meet fellow Dumpty Dumber Nicola McIntyre. And yes, I did give her a hug. Rob had warned her that I'm a hugger. So yes, poor Nicola got a, got a hug from me. And also Simon Savage, who's appeared on Dumpty Dum with me in a previous episode. He was there as well. It was just, it was incredible. And each one of them were just lovely to talk to. And I just I just want to have a WhatsApp group with the five of them, which is quite embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, they all came they all came across as, as lovely people and they all refer to it as a second family and it has that feel to it, doesn't it? And uh, I mean just for those who haven't heard Philippa's special Dumpty Dum, I would urge you to listen to it. It's a great listen. So you interview the actors who play Stella, Jim, Adam, Brian and Susan. So it was a great, a great lineup. I was willing you to ask Andrew Wincott, who plays Adam, if he was aware his character drives most of us to despair. But you were too polite, weren't you? He was lovely. Oh, he was damn. animated and lovely, which made me realise that yes, he is playing Adam in that particular light. And to see, because as well as interviewing them, they were there to perform Friday's mm. episode live. Mm. And to see the sort of the the look on his face as he was acting, it was it was just wonderful. And in fact, at the very end, when Brian had told Stella that she was fired and that was it, I didn't record very much of it. But the moment he'd said that, the audience were in uproar. Let me just play you a tiny bit of what I recorded. <laughs> quite something for them to get real life reaction from an audience because of course they're just performing it blind in a studio normally so to get that sort of visceral reaction is fantastic people couldn't believe it but the the look on adam's face as he was acting it out i'll put some clips on the facebook group as well of them acting it out i couldn't record much because obviously there were people behind me and i didn't want my camera to be in their way of vision it was just the most amazing experience to meet them all and they are one more adam question is he aware of how unpopular 
Adam is. Is Andrew aware of this? I didn't ask. I asked him about yeah. his character and the developments in his character yeah. as a sort of way to hear what he said. But he is a lovely guy. He's really animated. He's mm. nice to talk yeah. to. So, yeah... I, and to see him in front of the audience acting Adam out again was a whole another thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm Team Adam now. Who'd have thought? I, I, I was going to say, have you become Team Adam? Careful. But Jim, to, to, you, you know, therapy. the voice was there. It was wonderful. And yeah. Stella... Uh, just and Brian, of course, and Susan—they were all fantastic. Well, I, well, I mean, it was full of highlights. Uh, I two stood out for me. John Rowe plays Jim Lloyd, just reciting off the top of his head, Iliad <laughs> that he knows is a very erudite man, clearly. Mm. But you know, I am. Um, well, I am Team Brian. I'm number one fan, as we all know. And there was, well, there's one particular <laughs> moment I have to say, uh, Philippa, where I I felt green with envy, and I think for those who've missed it. People should hear this, this particular moment. All right, here we go. I'm so lucky. I've had the most wonderful story, you know, and affairs with almost anything yeah. in the past. In fact, you're in danger now because, um, because neither of my wives are in the programme anymore now. <laughs> what a rascal. It's more like rolling in the hay at hay. <laughs> Were you blushing? He, he is entrancing. I was just completely taken in with him. <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that would be my ringtone, I'm afraid. Brian flirting with you. <laughs> it's just, I mean, nice one. I mean, that beats Dua Lipa and Stormzy. Brian flirted with you, P. Fantastic. I'm very envious, very envious. But it's a great, it's, it was a great extra edition of Dumpty Dum and I would urge everyone to listen to it. Well done. Oh, thank you, Ellie. It was, mm. yeah, it was one of those very memorable moments. But that's enough about us. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you lot, our lovely caller inners. Hello, Ambridge3962. Let's start with Rob, who's been listening to the bonus episode of Dumpty Dum. Hello there, Philippa Quentin and Dumpty Dummers around the world. Well, in particular, hello to Philippa and thank you for the bonus podcast earlier in the week. It really was great fun listening to you interviewing the Archers cast members. Stella, we all love Stella. The desperate thing about her getting sacked is that, is she going to stay in the show? We all hope so, I know. Of course, there's the legend that is Brian Aldrich, and he is a fruity old goat. Still got a sparkle in his eye, I think. He was uh, dropping hints to you there, Philippa. Adam. Now, it said Adam, but the chap you interviewed was quite interesting, not the uh, log-like character that usually turns up on the archers. Susan is Susan. She is a legend. Lover or hater, you can do both in the same week. But, yeah, she's got to stay there. And Jim, I think perhaps you should be getting Jim to do a crossover into your other QuickBooks review podcast. He's obviously very well-read gentleman. I like to think I'm heading that way. I mean, he's got a few years on me yet, but I like to sit here surrounded by my books and just pontificate. Wonderful. Thanks for that. And remember, Philippa, as promised for the last few years, I am available to carry your books around and sharpen your pencils should you need an assistant when you go to Hay. Take care. Bye now. I think Rod's looking for a free pass there, Philippa. 
<laughs> well, there's one happy customer. He, he loved it as well, like we all did. Mm. Um, and uh, he's worried, will Stella stay in the show? I, I think she is going to stay in the show, isn't she? I think in your interview, I think you picked up a couple of interesting points. You know, she's moved into a house. She's got a dog. I mean, these are passports to longevity, aren't they, in, in Ambridge? So mm. I think Justin will turn the screws on Brian. Yeah. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Because of the fifteen percent, and um, and she'll stay. Yeah, he he was <laughs> like me, almost willing that uh, uh, the actor who plays Adam would be just like Adam, and was disappointed. So <laughs> <laughs> he was quite interesting in real life, says says Rob. It's a, this crossover idea is quite good. I mean, because uh, John Rowe, who plays Jim, he's read a few books, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. I'd love to have him on the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That would that would be such fun. And it was so interesting because at one point I was in the green room with authors who I really admire. Ellie Griffiths, who writes the Ruth Galloway series. Mick Heron, whose uh, book So Horses has been put on Apple TV. So they're, you know, authors that you hold in the highest. And yet when they saw the Archers cast, they were just like... Is that- are those the archers? Are those the archers' cars? I was like, yes, they are. And it was just wonderful to see. I love the fact that Jim should have a book-shaped cake. I think I need a book-shaped birthday cake, really. I, th- I thought that was great. But yes, thanks, Rob. It was such fun to record. Yeah, it was just wonderful to do. And yes, I need to talk to Jim about coming on the on the book podcast good thinking well now let's go to biffoprop who has some intel on incel george very good title there q well done hello everybody richard beveridge here slightly saddened biffoprop from sunny lancaster i do hope you're all well the continuing story of misojo george reared its ugly head again this week george appears to be relying on others to do the hard graft for this piece of fundraising that he's been asked to do especially with writing it put in my mind a question that I asked on the tw- in the Twitter sphere before. I wonder if George is actually literate and numerate. It wouldn't surprise me, given his slightly lackadaisical attitude at school. And also, I suspect Eddie is as well. The motivation for thinking that is that when I was a libraries consultant, I did some work in the in mining communities in the north of England, and the most hard to reach community were grandfathers who never came into the library. The motivation for this is because they couldn't read. You didn't need to be able to read in the 60s and 70s if you're going straight out of school at 14 and 15 to do an apprenticeship in in a mine. So we had a, a high proportion of grandfathers who couldn't read. I wonder if Eddie has the same problem, suspected maybe common in agricultural workers, and maybe the reason why Eddie seems to spend all his time ducking, diving, and doing sort of comedic, petty criminality. I think if George is, it's yet another example of something that could alienate him from other people to build the incel storyline. We shall watch with interest. Hope you're all well. Hope you're enjoying the sunny weather. Hope you're all in good form and looking forward to the ashes next week, especially Brian Aldrich. Fond love to all, especially Philippa's dad. Tinkety-tonk. Oh, tinkety-tonk. Thank you so much, Richard. That. That was a brilliant call. And yes, so interesting. Is George illiterate? I just don't know, because he's certainly not committing himself to his college work as much as he should do. Although if he's spending £2,500 on a farm management skills programme and he's ducking out of his college work, I just don't know if he's actually going to be able to do that. I like the idea of him using the other 50% of the money 
from Oliver to start a farm promotion business. I think that could work well, although we've already heard from his discussions with Ardil that he didn't know exactly how QR codes work. But I'm I'm hoping the best for him there. But just yeah, George, I think is a is a, a nasty person calling Hannah a cow. Then we heard George has muscles. I didn't really want to hear that. Thank you very much. Uh, and I agree with Richard. Something is up with the disrespect of so many people. But yeah, is he illiterate? I don't know. Q. I I think it's unlikely George is illiterate. I mean, he's still at college, isn't he? I think it would have been spotted by now. Um, well, he's really bad with his work, though. He's not done it. He's been getting bad marks. I agree, yes, but um, surely he can read and write, is what mm. I would say. Yeah. I, I think Eddie is a stronger case, uh, generationally two down, and for the reasons that um, Biffo Prop spelled out, could well have evaded needing to read or, or, or write or be, be numerate. So that makes more sense to me. Um, we're getting more and more flashes of, of burgeoning incel young man aren't we he's getting very snappy with emma and dismissive i mean clearly manipulative of both his grandmother and and his mother and they don't even clock it very rude to hannah although i'm really hoping he's met his match with hannah i'd love some more scenes mm. between her and george and bring them on please we all we all want those i mean what i was really hoping for in this 20th thousandth episode uh, yesterday was that I thought the the big thing was going to be he was going to be attacked and eaten by the pigs because that can happen. I mean, and and, and Neil was saying that sows get very very aggressive, and I was thinking, yes, the pigs are going to eat George, and it didn't happen. And um, so I was left very disappointed because we'll get onto the twenty twenty thousandth later, I'm sure. But I mean, it really was, as Suey said, a complete damn squib and. Uh, a complete letdown, I thought. Sadly, he wasn't eaten, but I, 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 I don't think he is literate. Um, lazy, certainly, manipulative, clever in a in a devious way. But I think he can read and write. There we go. Well, thank you so much for that, Richard, and for the tickety tonk. I love those. Well, now let's hear from Kate, who has some stellar advice for one maligned farm manager. Hi, this is a message for Stella. Stella, call me. I reckon you've got a case for unfair dismissal, and I'll tell you why. No due process was followed. He to the moment, what was he thinking? He didn't call you to a formal meeting. He didn't give you the right to be accompanied, and that's a statutory right. I think the confidentiality was broken a little bit by Adam being there, and he didn't establish the uh, circumstances of the case. No written record was made, uh, no opportunity to put your side of the case, and he didn't offer you an appeal. He acted as judge and jury, didn't consider other options. There are many layers to this. So call me. We'll get it to tribunal. We'll get the uplift for him, not even following the code. You know, it makes sense. Bye. Well, it's great to hear from Kate. Kate is, of course, the friend of Catherine, and they often phone in together. And uh, it's great to hear from Kate, flying solo, so to speak. And this call is really interesting because Kate knows what she's talking about. She's worked most of her life very high up in HR. So, Stella, that's free advice from somebody who really knows what she's talking about. Before I proceed, we must wish Kate well because uh, she and Catherine were out in New York last week and on the, their penultimate evening, poor Kate tripped on a New York City pothole, badly grazed her knee. When, in fact, uh, the, the graze became really a nasty infection 
And by the time she got back to the UK, she was in hospital, all ballooned up, she's in terrible pain and ended up with intravenous antibiotics. So, yes, uh, Kate has may have had her feet up this week, but she's been still at work and working hard on behalf of Dumpty Dum. So we hope, Kate, your recovery is going well. And there's all, sort, all, all sorts of things I learned in that, you know. The, <laughs> I mean, Brian just threw the rule, rule book out, didn't he? I mean, there's, there's not one thing he didn't get right. I mean, he, 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 she had no confidentiality, which I didn't clock. She had no witness. And this right of appeal as well. So Stella, I think, is is going to is, is she's going to win any 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 claim, isn't she? And I think Brian will come around that. Plus, he's having his arm twisted by Justin. So anybody in a similar situation to Stella, there's some free advice from Kate, who knows her onions. Kate, do hope you're all right. I'm thinking what might happen in the future because I love the way Justin engineered it. With it sounds like Stella's going to come back on the scene, but it. Things relationships could be difficult then between her and Brian, and that would be unfortunate because yes, they've never been best buddies, but Stella's always been able to control Brian, and I just hope there's no difficulties there. I think this week has highlighted the gap that Jenny's left as well. She would have sorted Brian out, and she and Lillian would have talked about it uh, separately from Brian and Justin, and it would have just been calmly sorted out and she'd have talked Brian round. I like the way Lillian was talking to Adam because, you know, obviously Adam doesn't have his mum now. So that was nice to hear. The way Adam played it at Hay was that it was not a cunning plan in any way to get Stella out. He was just a bit shocked <laughs> about how the events had had played out. Mm. I did wonder in the week why they kept saying how much sunshine they, there was, how hot everyone was. But then, of course, I realised it's because that the land was in the right climate to have the seed put put in. So, yeah, then that, that made sense to me. But, yeah, very interesting, Kate. Thank you. And not lose out on 15%. exactly. Now, if you're thinking you'd like to call in like Kate and the others we've heard from so far, then the best way is to go to speakpipe.com forward slash dumtydum and send in your message that way. Honestly, it really is ever so easy. More calls in a minute, but now our Ambridge archivist, Stephen, talks us through part one of the history of Bridge Farm. This is the BBC Live programme. Here is the news. Here is a two-part, two-minute history of Bridge Farm. Bridge Farm occupies 140 acres at the foot of Hayden Barrow, south of Ambridge. To put that in perspective, it's larger than Brookfield was when Dan Archer bought it, but only a third of Brookfield's present size, and less than a tenth the size of Home Farm. In 1977, Bridge Farm's tenant, Jim Elliott, died, and Ralph Bellamy offered the tenancy to Tony Archer, who was his brother-in-law. Tony had previously been Ralph's dairy manager, until he was sacked, possibly unfairly, after an outbreak of brucellosis. He then entered into a partnership with Hayden Evans at Willow Farm, and had married Hayden's niece a couple of years previously. He and Pat had a toddler called John. They moved into Bridge Farm on February 1978, and bought themselves a second-hand herringbone milking parlour. Helen was born in 1979, and Tom in 1981, and the demands of the two younger children on Pat a foot-and-mouth scare, and an outbreak of swine vesicular disease 
meant that Pat and Tony drifted apart, with Tony starting to drink heavily much as his father had done. Things reached a crisis in 1984 when Pat decided to take the children on a CND march and rumours abounded that she had been seen drinking in the goat and nightgown with Roger Coombs, her women's studies lecturer. When Pat returned from a conference in Wales, Tony immediately decamped to a conference of his own, coming back with an ultimatum for Pat. He was going to take Bridge Farm organic. Either she was with him or not. She agreed to transform the farm and led the charge on branching out into yoghurt and ice cream production. I've got one thing to say, actually, Philippa. Yeah, uh, I know we're a bit stat-heavy on this on this particular podcast, but I never knew Bridge Farm was so small. 140 acres. Did you? Uh, I always imagined it much bigger than it's that. It's not something that's plagued my... Clearly. <laughs> OK. Shall we get on with the calls? <laughs> Being organic, you'd have to be a bit smaller, wouldn't you? I mean, to control it more, but yes. No, but it was 140 before they went organic, so it's always been small. Okay, right, I've I've just satisfied myself. (laughs) Right, so... Go on, crack on with the calls. (laughs) And next we have Richard from Portugal, who called a little late for last week's recording. Apologies, we're we're trying to record earlier than we have done in the past. But Richard was left outraged and furious, not with us, but mainly with the Aldridges. Richard in Lisbon calling in, thank you. And I'm never sure who's going to host these days, but I don't mind. It adds to the richness of being a dum-de-dum listener. If I were Stella, I'd be considering suing for wrongful dismissal. The way she has treated it is outrageous. Ardell's good advice, what would Jenny do, seems to be totally ignored by Brian. Adam seems to be being positively devious with egged on or encouraged to be devious by Ian. I wonder if Brian is empowered to terminate someone's contract effective immediately. And I suspect Stella knows the details of the partnership agreement much better than anyone else. I don't think this story is completely over. And if, as I suspect, Stella does, she stops working effectively immediately, I think they'll be quite stretched. I like the way Ardell's character is developing and it certainly is the case that Oliver needs to get used to the fact that he's a minority shareholder in an enterprise he used to run according to his instincts and that will be an interesting evolution. If I were Jim I'd be furious with anyone who had my glasses and didn't give them to me. If I don't have my glasses it's like not having my phone or laptop, it's really serious. Um, I wouldn't be so forgiving. And Freddie is still whining on about his inheritance. When he gets his inheritance, the taxman will be knocking. And I wonder how you get on the board of trustees of Lower Loxley. Last but not least, someone should send Stella a recording of the episode where Adam gave her permission to take decisions. Oh, Richard, thank you so much for that call. Yes, you you were right. You said Brian was going to be stretched. And he was. We saw that exactly this week. Now, I was interested in the with Freddie and about the inheritance because, in my mind, the property has been in trust for centuries. So I was doing a little bit of work research on this in the week, but actually I was wrong. Who knew? It, it only happens once in a lifetime, but there we go. Um, Nigel had actually left it in an immediate post-death interest trust in his will. 
So before it passed to Freddie, it was held by the trustees in trust for Elizabeth and she had the right to live in, in the property for her lifetime. So that saved the inheritance tax then. But, you know, just as Richard says, there will be inheritance tax issues when Elizabeth dies and it is passed on to Freddie. So I don't know how they're going to fund all of that. What I also didn't know is at the time, Nigel put money aside separately for Lily. So she wasn't financially disadvantaged by Freddie getting lower Loxley. Anyway, there we go. Um, I thought uh, it makes me cross. No one judged Nigel for who who he was. Nigel was just allowed to be himself. And yet Freddie isn't. She's never encouraged Freddie to study for the business. She's never talked to him about doing anything. It just seems too late. She, I'm just really angry with Elizabeth. And I know most people are Team Elizabeth, not Team Freddie. But I feel sorry for her. I, I'm not Team Elizabeth at all. She makes my skin creep increasingly. I, I really don't mm. like her. I found her a bit of a user, actually. Just little flashes, you know. Oh, I might have to power hose down the furniture. Yes. And then, you know, Freddie does it. She's always sort of passing the buck, I find. And I find her incredibly patronising as well. Sort of looking down her nose at people and it's sort of nicey-nicey, but actually it's sort of the passive yes. aggression, isn't it? I don't, I don't like that. So I'm not Team Elizabeth. Uh, you know, I'm Freddie gets on my wig, but I've got quite a soft spot for him. The more he whines about being perceived as being immature to take over... Uh, Lower Loxley, the more he comes across as being too immature to take over Lower Lower Loxley. And he gets giddily excited about becoming a DJ. And uh, what was the rap? Can you remember the rap? Forget these crusties. Who are the trustees? Forget Lower Loxley. This is Freddie. Peep, peep, peep. Yeah. And he's the guy that's going to run Lower Loxley. So, no, give it a few years, mate. Richard, I thought, was very prescient, although well, not by his, not for, it was his fault, uh, but uh, he's, you know, he's a week late with his call, but he's very prescient, wasn't he? The point you made about Stella not working there is going to make them very stretched, and within a week they are. <laughs> Brian's getting two hours sleep, and Justin's worried about him. I picked up on Richard saying he likes the way Ardell's character is developing, and I think that's an interesting point, because... You know, we have surges of Ardell and then he disappears. But he's here to stay, isn't he? And I don't know what to make of him yet because we got one flash, didn't we, the other week about his wife who died. And that was the first real insight I felt into his backstory. Uh, He blows hot and cold, doesn't he, as well? Because he was not very nice to Oliver. I mean, you know, he was entitled Mm. to be fed up with the way Oliver didn't even think, but it was not done maliciously. So he, 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 I didn't like the way he treated Oliver. You know, I'm very protective of Oliver, as you know, but I didn't like that side of him. And then he's very sweet and understanding when he had that uh, heart-to-heart with Brian and gave him that advice, you know, what would Jenny do, which then Brian completely ignored. So he's still very much in the melting pot as a character, Ardil, but... um, He's one to watch, isn't he? I don't have any strong feelings about Ardil, whereas for every other character I do, yeah. and that for me is hard to process in the Archers because normally it's like a love or loathe. I agree. Yeah, we just haven't been, been given enough info, have we, to form an opinion about him. And there's been, count, you know, he's behaved in different ways and it's inconsistent, so I can't form a consistent view of him. We will see. The jury is out for now. Duh, duh, duh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but thank anyway, you, thank Richard. you, Richard. Yeah. I bet Lisbon's hot as well. Ooh. And next, it's Claire from Clapham, who's had another sighting of Thomas the Twonk engine. It's Claire from Clapham here. Big welcome to P&Q this week. And P, thank you so much for your episode from Hay. It was really great. 
you do such a good job with the archers and the dumpty dums. So this week, just listen to the Friday episode and Godness me. I mean, I have got history with this podcast about ringing in and basically explaining why Tom is a twonk, but Tom is a twonk. Um, and his arguments are so mad because, like, he feels like Rob's got all the control because I can't stop thinking about Rob and looking out for him. But going to find him just tells him that he's got that control. It makes no sense. The best way of losing the control over Rob is to be as open as possible. So all this secrecy is ridiculous. Encourage everyone to be open about it. Like, it's not a secret what happened to Helen. Like, everyone in the village knows. Just say, look, we're really concerned because Rob's back in the country. Everyone could you keep an eye out for him. That way, they've got the eyes of the whole... And uh, they don't have to go looking for anybody. I don't think... Well, I don't know. It's all just so stupid. And also, obviously, George is dreadful, but I'm so disappointed in Emma recently. Like, Emma, I've been a right champion of because she's really stood up for herself... She knows what she wants. She's really made an effort. And she just seems to be indulging George so atrociously. And it is backfiring on her. He doesn't respect her. And he doesn't like that she didn't trust him to sort out his own stuff, which she didn't, frankly. And I don't understand why. But actually, he's old enough. If he's not going to do his sponsorship properly, let him fail on his own terms. Anyway, it goes by. Keep up the good work. See you soon. Well, when I heard this call, Philippa, I just cheered to the rafters. I mean, Claire's calls are always very good, but this is just absolutely bullseye stuff. <laughs> Thomas the Twonk, I love that. Uh, he's been called all sorts, but that just about sums him up. But this idea that you know Tom and Lee are going to confront Rob is somehow seizing back control is, as Claire says, the absolute opposite, because Rob will just think, well, I've really got to them, I've... I have, I'm under their skin, in their heads, and I'm in control. But he's so impulsive, isn't he, Tom? He just doesn't think this thing through. And Lee is already expressing reservations. Please go with your gut, Lee. But I just got this awful feeling he's going to be dragged along. He's going to be made sort of unmanly if he doesn't. You're not supporting your wife, my sister type thing. And, you know, that dum-dum-dum moment when... uh, on Friday when Tom said, if we can just hold it together and hold our nerve, it won't fail. And we all know the complete opposite is going to happen. With you on that, Claire, and I agree with you, uh, with, with Emma, I, I, I was screaming at the radio again when Susan and Emma were indulging him and not seeing through his manipulative latency. He just doesn't respect her. And it's all part of this incel character that's coming through bit by bit so cracking call there claire keep them coming yes claire thank you so much and thanks for the lovely comment about the hey episode i do really appreciate it okay i'm gonna say something and to my knowledge nobody else has said it on dumpty dum but it is entirely possible that they have and therefore i apologize in advance lee his surname is bryce lee bryce it it just seems to be that if you swap their names round it's it's Bruce Lee, isn't it? Lee Bryce, B R Y C E, Bruce. I don't know why that just occurred to me, but anyway, I was quite I was quite chuffed with myself for that. Uh, he's actually shaking his head at the moment. What? Where where'd you get Bruce from? Because Lee Bryce, Bryce Lee, Bryce? you changed the Y for you. Bruce Lee, the Kung Fu. Yes, I know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that is just completely. It's so left field. It's almost coming in from the right. <laughs> I just wondered if that's a deliberate move. Yeah. 
Well, you never know. Don't rule it out. Anyway, I wonder if they will go around and find Rob in a hospice because there's something going on here. Miles did refer to, you know, he's got other issues happening at the moment. Helen might just have to seize the moment and and take Rob to court. She can't put this off much longer. I'm still counting on Justin saying something about the flood. I agree about Emma. And I think she's being so hurtful to other people. She's hopeless with George, but she's so mm. hurtful. Uh, hurtful to Tracy the other week. Hurtful to yeah. Lee this week, going on yeah, about yeah. his girls. I don't like her at all. And I am concerned about the biosecurity because we learned that George couldn't stay living with Emma because of biosecurity problems and him working with the pigs. And yet Emma troops over there all the time with bags of stuff. Surely that's still a biosecurity. If risk. you say so, Philippa, I hadn't spotted that. You know, when Tony reminded us of those awful access meetings he used to have in the local cafe, oh, they were, I mean, I cringed. They were terrible, weren't they? And, mm, and um, mm. he reflected on them really well. And I, mm. made, I could really feel his pain having to go through there and watch uh, Rob pick him up and call him Gideon and all that. I thought it was very well acted and well written for Tony that. And I, I really don't want Tony to have to go through that again, but they may well have to. But as you say, they might be coming up with a clever way yeah, of killing off I Rob. Think, but no, Claire, that was a brilliant call. And it's Witherspoon's turn now with thoughts on airs and grace and favours. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, P&Q and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. We survived the two days of orange skies and smoky air that enveloped New York City. And today it's just dull and gray much like a lot of the week in Ambridge was, especially on Anniversary Friday. This week, in our own multiverse, it was much more interesting. Three names I'll mention, Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, and Prince Harry. Midweek, I was listening to one of my favorite talk radio hosts, Sheila Fogarty on LBC, and she was talking about Harry and his court testimony. She noted that many refer to Harry as the whiny prince. A light bulb then went off in my head. Which young Ambridge resident has been excruciatingly whiny lately? Okay, there's been more than one, but let's talk about the wealthy one. There are many parallels between the red-headed prince of the realm and the prince of Lower Loxley, Freddie Pargeter. In my mind's eye, they look alike, though Freddie is younger. One difference. Freddie is the heir and Harry was the spare. But both are known by the diminutive forms of their first names. Both lost a parent at around the same age. Both are very upset with how they've been treated by more senior people around them. Both want to leave behind the big old house they grew up in. Both want a career in entertainment. Harry as a writer and filmmaker married to a glamorous actress. And Freddie as a mediocre DJ at weddings and clubs in the Midlands. Finally, both are known for their sense of entitlement. Bonus coincidence, Freddie's mother was named after Harry's grandmother. Are all these connections between Harry and Freddie accidental? I think not. P&Q, please discuss. Talk to you soon. Oh, thanks with the spoon for that call. Yes, glad to know that you are safe and sound. This is absolutely brilliant. I mean, you're spot on. The more I think about it, you're absolutely right. And yes, Freddie isn't the spare, but he. I do feel he's being treated like the spare. I mean, he hasn't... The trustees have said he's not going to be able to run Lower Loxley for a while, 
because they firmly believe he slashed that painting. And he didn't. We know he didn't. Did nobody think to report it to the police? And if they were going to claim on the insurance, they would have to report it to the police. So that makes me, you know, really cross. Freddie is just discounted. His mother doesn't think much of him as well. So, yeah, I thought this was a, a brilliant call. I think the fact that uh, Witherspoon has gone into so much detail about making all these connections between uh, Freddie and Harry and so forth. He he thinks in his mind's eye, he thinks Harry and Freddie look alike. I, I don't think so at all. I've, I've got this sort of image of uh, Freddie as being rather sort of weedy, whereas Harry's quite bulky, isn't he? And tall. I don't. I, I think Freddie's a bit, a bit, a bit weedy, physically. It's what aligns him to Harry, and I could see so many similarities, just as Witherspoon's highlighted. And I should also say, bravo to Sarah Hahir for writing this week. I thought she did a great job. With little to say, because she wasn't given much of a storyline, frankly, this week. Mm. I, I do see Freddie perhaps with a hint of red hair, like Harry. And I know I'm being flippant. I know Witherspoon is making some very clever connections yeah I, I, I see your train of thought <laughs> with a spoon uh, yes we do have two whiny princes uh, there's no escape so you've got one standing up in the high court and you've got one um, every evening at two minutes past seven and there we are. Witherspoon, thank you. That was spot on. And let's finish with a call from Vicky, who's played catch up this week and seen right through one recent storyline. Hello, everybody. It's Vicky Cole here. I hope everyone is well. I have got really behind with the arches again. I've been trying to help my parents pack up the house they've lived in for 53 years, ready to move. And I just haven't had time to do anything else. So I'm a bit behind the times on the spectacles story of Jim. I am a qualified optometrist. I have been an optometrist for 32 years and I don't think in my entire career have I discussed spectacles as much as Ambridge did. It's absolute nonsense. I can see that if they were varifocals or something, it's not as simple as running to a convenient, you know, a supermarket or something to pick up some new ready-made readers. But Jim would have a spare pair. He'd have several spare pairs. And certainly the whole village would not be discussing it. It was bollocks. Right. Then I frantically this morning listened to all of last week's episodes, trying to avoid social media so as not to have any spoilers before the big 20,000th episode. Uh, was that it on Friday? The 20,000th episode? Uh, right. OK, so what's going on? Are they going to hit us on a completely unexpected day, like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, with something out of unexpected, something exciting, something dramatic? Um, um, I have an awful plot prediction, which makes me feel sick thinking about it, but I think Rob will turn up and somehow Lee will kill him and won't ever be able to go to the States to see his daughters. And I think that that would be absolutely heartbreaking and I hope it doesn't happen. I think there was some talk of Lee leaving the show or winding down a bit because of other commitments, so that might do it. Anyway, lots of love to everybody. Bye. Great to hear from you, Vicky, and thanks for taking time out of what I know to be, from personal experience, to be a big job clearing out parents' houses after 53 years. That's going to be a lot of clobber there, I imagine. Well, we heard earlier, didn't we, from an expert, Kate, in HR. Now we've got an expert in glasses. 32 years an optometrist. Vicky, she knows what she's talking about. 
and your summation of the whole glasses story as bollocks is spot on. Absolute nonsense. And uh, it riled many of us. How it could have taken up so much airtime is still beyond us. It's going to be, I think it'll be put in that little, that little box of when we look, we open occasionally, like the Walrus episode, you know, <laughs> what, what the hell were they on about? Okay, so agree with you with that one, Vicky. And I totally agree with you about the 20,000th episode. I, I, it was really disappointing. I was amazed that they didn't make more of it, that we'd have something to really get our teeth into. And it, to be, for it to be dominated by two of the most unappealing characters, particularly in George, but you know, lots of Tom as well. And it just left me irritated and hugely disappointed, actually. I thought, mm, mm. and maybe, you know, they're going to, uh, as Vicky is suggesting, they're going to hit us on the underside with a, with a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Bernadette Hawkes has a theory, doesn't she? There's always one quiet day of the week. I think another, you know, bullseye call there from, from Vicky. And this, what do you think about her plot prediction? Rob will turn up and Lee will somehow kill him. I do think if he's going to be killed off, it's it's going to be something that wasn't meant to happen. I do. I mean, obviously, Pat will probably be pulling the trigger before before Lee actually manages to get a kick out. But if her shotgun jams, maybe Lee will be at it. Yeah, I did put on the Facebook group, actually, this week that I thought there was a relevance to the mention of Lee having one shot in his coffee and that... Would he take one shot at, at Rob? I wasn't so, so, sure. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you've read something into his name, Lee Bryce, yeah? Yeah. Bruce Lee. Yeah. And now you've read in something into the fact that he asked for one shot at a cafe. Hugh, you've got your head in your hands. It's all right. It's just, you know, don't worry. It's all fine. <laughs> I think we've all, myself included, have got this 20,000 episode wrong with hindsight. I listened today to the 10,000th episode, which featured Terry Wogan and Judy Dent. Well, they'd start, yeah, yeah, something. <laughs> but it was a very normal day in Ambridge, apart from the fact Terry that Wogan Judy Dent and, Dench and up, Terry yeah. Wogan, were, yes. <laughs> but it was a very, there were no cliffhangers. It was a very warm episode. Well, something happened. And the only... But the only people that have said something massive is going to happen in the 20,000th episode is us. So we've we've sort of dug the hole for us. I think, you know, there's a lot of publicity around that episode. And I think it's a way to get new listeners in, particularly younger ones. So I think it's a it's a way of showing it. And I think we will be rewarded for our patience next week. I do think things are really going to blow up. So those are the calls. But you can also send us an email if you prefer. Visit the dumptydum.com website and click the Contact Us tab at the top of the page. Please keep them brief, up to a maximum of 250 words. And remember, you need to be 18 or over to submit any views or comments. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And so we go from our caller in to our email in And our email this week is from who else but Anon of Ambridge. And you want me to read it out, don't you? I absolutely do, yes. With all the spelling mistakes. <laughs> okay. Dear P&Q, please, P-L-I-S, please help me. I'm confused about drinks. I was in the tea room and I overheard Christy asking Lee if he wanted an extra shot. What shot does she mean? Why didn't she ask me? Please help me, Anon of Ambridge. So is Anon claiming now to be a barista? These emails can be read at so many levels. So Anon is feeling left out. I think Anon is a person of quite simple taste from previous questions. And therefore, I don't think Kirsty Wood or Christie, as you've called, would, would actually think... She was absorbed... To... Preoccupied talking to Lee and not, yeah. so I wouldn't take it personally. <laughs> and um, don't take it personally if I say to you, you know, feel free not to email in anymore. But <laughs> I'm sure you will. We've heard this week a revelation for me. Neil has an espresso machine. Now, those, that raises lots of questions for me. I would never have thought that Neil would have an espresso machine. I would never have thought... Neil doesn't drink espresso, surely. He's a builder's tea man. Anyway, Anon, if you want something stronger and you feel Christy hasn't served you a strong enough coffee, get over to, to Neil and have, have an espresso. Maybe they'll become mates. Yes, who knows? I'm slightly speechless at that. But anyway, thank you for your calls and emails. We love them. Do keep calling in. Next week, we'll be hosted by Jacqueline and Stephen, who will be recording very early Saturday morning. So I've asked for calls, emails and contributions by midnight on Friday. Let's move on to Facebook. And we need to say an do to Catherine. Now, what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Let's find out as we sit back for the roundup with Stephen. Hello, you two. It's been another busy week on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page as we worked our way towards the drama of the 20,000th episode. But more on that later. Let's start with Stella. What are the odds of Sunday's episode featuring a pang of conscience, a change of heart and a reinstatement, asked Rob Williams. I predict Adam and Brian will get on each other's last nerve in three months tops, if not sooner, said Joanne Smith. And Adam will blurt it out in anger. I should never have let you think that Stella made that decision alone. I told her she should do it. I hope that Stella has too much self-respect to accept an apology and take back the job, said Leela Toff. She's a lovely character, though, and has so much potential for future stories. Lillian McCartney asked, I don't understand what game Adam is playing. 
If he thought Stella did the right thing, then why didn't he support her? Anna Fry had a suggestion about this. I think he's flying by the seat of his pants. Perhaps he regrets taking Ian's advice. Ian is quite underhand and I am shocked. Michael Duffy had a theory. Sorry I've said before, but does anyone think that Adam used Stella to get a piece of equipment that he always wanted? So now Stella has been sacked. He will walk back and have the equipment he always wanted? Sandra Jenkinson didn't agree. No, Stella should never have pushed for a decision from people who were in shock. Then Justin stepped in to save the day, perhaps, and we had to consider changing our views of him. Well done, Justin. He may well have his own agenda, but he's absolutely spot on, said Paul Newman. Is the uh, home farm land anywhere near the charging station location? Asked Catherine Newnham. Justin always had ulterior motives. Claire Asprey added, Much like Douglas in Cabin Pressure says, At any given moment, I never have fewer than seven ulterior motives in play. Justin is cut from similar cloth, but Rosie Taylor remained unimpressed. Blackmail is never a good look, and Justin is a weasel. But let's focus on that 20,000th episode. There have been plenty of predictions about what would happen on Friday night. Lee will propose to Helen and they'll get it together again at last, offered Griselda Cowan. Bess will drag the bunting out from its hiding place behind Hollow Tree, where Toby left it, suggested Josh Steinhurst. Grace steps out of a shower and it's all been a dream, proposed Jacqueline Arnold. But perhaps the top suggestion came from Carolyn Wright. Rob the Knob turns up all guns blazing and Lee disables him with a lethal karate chop. Then Harrison turns up and says in no uncertain terms, you're nicked. Tony cheers and starts singing, here we go, here we go, here we go. Helen starts singing, I will survive. And Pat celebrates by making a huge pan of soup. Peggy buys Lee and Helen tickets to San Francisco and a super duper set of Marvel figures. All of us who look forward to Carolyn's alternative Saturday episodes are left wondering what Jasper and Snowy down at the stables would have thought of it all. There was a great deal more discussed on the Facebook page that I haven't got time to talk about. So if you don't already spend any time there, do give it a go. And I will end with Gilbert Watmore's response to the actual 20,000th episode. I feel he captured what many of us were left thinking. Was that it? And on that note, I will return you to the studio. Thank you, Stephen, and to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. You'll also find us on Twitter under at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include The Archers, that's one word, The Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. Now, bear in mind also that that hashtag is your gateway to the hugely enjoyable tweet-along that runs whenever the programme is on. As well as at Dumpty Dum, we're both on Twitter. I can be found at Quick Book Review with a three rather than a W. And I'm at 13 Minute Man, that's at 13 Minute Man. As ever, Purple Pumpkin is here to hand out the gongs. Hello, it's Fry here. And now, on Dumpty Dum, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Hello, Philippa, Quentin and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter, many of us were bemoaning the fact that hashtag the archers now seems to act like a search term, so it returns all tweets that include the word or name archer. There's a particular soppy bloke tweeting his girlfriend that I could definitely do without. But within the Ambridge subset, I've really enjoyed the speculation about whether Adam is menopausal, and also about what would come in Friday's 20,000th episode of the archers. But there's a great thread 
in which Steffi Ede, at Mum of Fat Cassie, has posted a transcript of the Adam and Stella conversation, the one in which Stella let Adam believe she and Brian had virtually decided on the drill, and then Adam expressed support for Stella taking decisions while Brian was so distracted. There's a lot of forensic analysis going on of a scene that was obviously very carefully scripted and debate on how ACAS would rule, even if it had a recording of the whole conversation to go on. If you find yourself caught up in details of this issue, please do take a look and chime in. But now to my medals for Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's our very own Stephen Bowden at Wenlock House, commenting on George Grundy, who said, I've been to college. Well, I've been to St Paul's Cathedral, but that doesn't make me a bishop. <laughs> the silver medal goes to Catherine Rowan-Jones, who I believe used to call into Dumpty Dum a while ago, at 88 Ivy Fox. Stella is so not from Ambridge. She's already consulted an agricultural employment lawyer. <laughs> and the gold medal this week goes to Rich Cuts, at Cuts Rich. Enjoying the view from under Adam's bus, Stella. Well, that's it for this week. See you all on Twitter next time. I, I wasn't aware of this thread, this suggestion that we might be in the throes of a menopausal Adam. I mean, spare us, please. I mean, can we cope with an even moodier Adam? Sorry, you can't say anything against Adam now. Sorry, no, I can't have it. No, yeah, yeah, Team Adam. Yeah. So you've, you've drifted from Team Josh to Team Adam, have you? I wouldn't say I've moved. I just have various teams of which I'm happy right. to support. So I look forward to you defending Adam in future weeks. This is going to be fun. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh dear. Don't forget, we are on Instagram at Dumpty Dum with some great posts. Thanks to the wonderful Katie. If you want to be Instagrammer of the week, just tag at Dumpty Dum and throw in some hashtags, the archers and Dumpty Dum as well. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our contributors and to our social media supremos, Shambridge for our voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman, Royfield Brown and, of course, Jacqueline Beto. Thank you for joining us today. It's been great fun. So it's a bye-bye from me. And I'm off to worm some yearlings. Until next time, bye-bye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.